This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dean Amal Andraos. Thanks for listening. I'm Lucy Navarro, a second-year MARC student at Columbia GSAP. I am speaking with Annabelle Seldorf in advance of the annual Paul S. Bayard Memorial Lecture at the school on April 15, 2019. Annabelle Seldorf is founder and principal of Seldorf Architects, a New York City-based firm that is currently working on several additions to existing cultural institutions. Their work embodies the spirit of Paul S. Bayard, who championed thoughtful design of additions to historic buildings. Thank you for speaking with me today. So I wanted to start by asking you about the Frick Museum. Had you previously visited the Frick Collection, and did you ever imagine that you would be the chosen architect for its first expansion in 80 years? I started to imagine it when the previous project was floundering, because I started to think about how much I care about this museum that I've been going to regularly for the entire time that I have lived in New York, which is a long time. I'm not going to tell you how long. Well, I know you went to Pratt for your undergrad, right? Okay. So I'm assuming you visited. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Okay. And knowing that the 2015 proposal got a lot of controversy and pushback, were you hesitant about being involved with this expansion? No, I wasn't. Like I said, I was motivated by truly caring about the museum and somehow thinking, (laughs) you got to take care of this. And this is not meant to sound megalomaniacal, but it's like one of those things that speak to you and where you think that you can assist. So you're talking about how much you cared about the building. What was your first impression when you first entered the building, when you met the building? (laughs) You're asking me what I thought in 1982? Yeah. I cannot tell you. (laughs) I probably said, awesome! (laughs) No, that's not a word I use, but it's not about one impression. I think it is actually a prolonged experience. It's getting to know a building, getting to know the works of art, and there is a... (laughs) a slow food experience, which is that some that spaces resonate with you, that works of art are a part of the spaces, and that you experience them both as one and as separate. And I will say that I did not think about it critically. It wasn't like I went there and I thought, I wish they would change this or that. And I think in that, I'm probably like most people. You sort of hold on to something that's very familiar to you, that's for the most part been good. And it's only when you start thinking, what are their needs? What are the extended requirements? What doesn't work so well? That you start identifying things that put you in a sort of critical position. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of the architecture in that experience with the art and how you design for that so it equally contributes to the collection? I think it's a very good question and a very difficult one to answer. The way I think about design is that it's part rational and part intuitive and that the dialogue between the two is an ongoing one as if you were in a boat and you know, create a balance between the two. So when I think about space and art, I think about the person who is viewing things. 
ultimately, I think you can't, there isn't such a thing as a neutral space. So it is your own experience and your own evaluation or judgment that contributes to to the analysis of what works, what was good, how does light work, and then finding definition around that in terms of proportion, size, circulation, things like that. It's kind of an intense little process. Do you think that intuition is a learned intuition as like when you continue to do many, many projects, it just kind of begins to grow within you or is it taught in school? Because I'm not sure you can teach intuition. I don't think you can, but I think that I would have liked to be a singer and I think to some extent you can learn to sing and to some extent you've got to have a good voice. And I think like seeing space is something that maybe is an ability that you have, but that you need to train. If you go skiing for the first time, you're happy if you get down the mountain in one piece. And over time, you get better at it and you sort of gauge the mountain, so to speak. How do you think the importance of materiality when designing for an existing space, like the consciousness of effort to blend or differentiate materials between existing and new? Is that, again, like an intuitive process or is that like working with the client or? It's everything to some extent. I think that usually I prioritize how I think about design. I solve space, light, proportions, things like that. That which I consider structural. We're not talking about structure, but that which is the the heart of the matter. And materials are usually the last thing I think about, unless there is an overriding reason to say, I don't know, concrete is the material you work with because that's part of the structure. But in a situation like the Frick, the deliberation about materials actually (laughs) entered our discourse fairly late, by which I don't think I ever represented that I would use materials that are far away from the original house, but but that would go to a degree of specificity. So just to sum it up, thinking about the juxtaposition or the, the palette of materials is something that doesn't play a definitive role until I feel everything else is resolved. So when you're when you're working with existing spaces, the touch between new and old, just the way that they're positioned, you can either go right up against the space or you can hinge, and there are different ways to interact with that space. What is your first move when you are working with an existing space? Well, if you want to come to the lecture, <laughs> no, that is always the question. Like when you work with an existing building, um, even if it's a modern building, you kind of have to figure out how do you differentiate the addition or do you differentiate it? And I believe that one must not make a hard and fast rule, but you have to think about the totality of the space and your goals so that transitional spaces sometimes are better if they belong to the old world And sometimes they're better when they are clearly defined. I think that is one thing I know about how I think, how I work, 
how we work as a studio is that we try to not be formulaic about things. There is rigor in the definition of reasons. Like, I don't want to be arbitrary or willful, but I think you have to break things down into a syntax that is very layered. So similar to the, the Frick, you're also working on the Museum of Contemporary Art in San Diego, which underwent various expansions in the past by different architects. And I was wondering, can you speak about the difference between designing spaces for historic collections and contemporary ones? What would you like to know? Do you approach the previous work of the interventions in a methodical way? Do you attempt to understand the thinking of, of uh, previous architects in the work? Do you dismiss the work of previous architects? I try to never dismiss. And I think that learning how something came about and the appropriate context is vital. At the end of the day, good architecture is good architecture no matter when it was done. And when you look at the Frick and you see how intelligent John Russell Pope was in his addition to Thomas Hastings' work, it's incredibly admirable. It's also interesting to think that they were contemporaries. So Thomas Hastings was alive when when Pope did his addition to the building. And I've always wondered whether there is any record of how Carrere and Hastings felt about that event, but I don't think we have any answers to that. It's different in a more modern context. Why? Why is it different? Maybe it is different because it's closer to oneself. Like in the case of the San Diego Museum, the original house by Irving Gill is a beautiful work, delicate piece of early modernist, proto-modern design, really. And then as it was added onto, it became a completely different, slightly uncontrolled volume. And the architects Mosher and Drew, who did I think the second, third, and fourth renovation, sort of in each decade, did very different sized, different sized additions. And then, when Venturi Scott Brown came along, their vision of what the museum should be was ruled by a completely different set of ideas about how a museum interacts with the city, and they didn't care so much really about the art spaces. And so thinking about San Diego, I feel like the learning process was very different. And and that is quite simply always what happens. is like you have to really understand what all the circumstances are, find out as much as possible how they came to be, what they were meant to do, how they sit in the context of their own time, and how valid they are at this point in time. Because, of course, circumstances change. And so there is a lot to find out before before you snap into action. Do you begin that process by looking at the history of it and then going through before you even pick up a pen to design or a pencil to design? Well, there is no hard and fast rule about it. But it depends a little bit on how a project comes about. And I think one ought to always remember what one's instincts are. And sometimes you lose your instincts if you 
have too much information. So you kind of have to have a little bit of both, I would think, like your response to a space, like do you feel at ease in it? Do you feel provoked or challenged by it? If you are provoked or challenged, is that good or bad? Judgment is a funny thing, right? Because if that's your only guidance, I think you shortchange the process. But you, your visceral response to something has also got a certain value. There's always a suggestion that a building is never finished and somehow a new understanding or transformation can always be had. Do you ever design with the notion that your work may be reinterpreted and expanded upon in the future? I'm trying to think if there has been, if I have encountered that. I don't think specifically, but in certain circumstances you would have to. Like now in San Diego, I do think about that because you are confronting that something is gone through so many transformations. I don't know that it is true that a building is never finished. I think it is true that as time changes, some values change. And it, it would be nice to think that there could be ongoing dialogue. Those things are complicated. In my life as an architect, projects we've done have disappeared because they were interior projects and somebody bought somebody's house and then they made changes to it or so. And then you go, oh, <laughs> that wasn't meant to happen. <laughs> I think it's important not to be overly sentimental about it. And well, of course, you always feel proprietary about something that you did and you feel that somebody didn't recognize how good something was. But it's like everything else. Projects have their own life once you're done with them. With that, I want to thank you for sitting with me and having this conversation. Thank you. This podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.